Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Monday night before the SEC Tournament Championship Week in full swing. Florida came out, didn't play real well in the first half. In fact, I thought that was about as bad a half as Florida has played since the Castleton injury. Um, looked very uninspired. Um, Eric mentioned, you know, we don't talk about this that much on the podcast, but like emotions. Was Florida emotionally spent or flat in the first half? Who knows? They kind of looked like it. Like They looked like something was off. Came out in the second half and played fantastic. Get the win over LSU and do it comfortably. Um, in another game, Eric, where I thought Florida had a really good game plan, denying K.J. Williams touches around the arc. So they kind of decided they were going to take something of his away, and they stuck with it, which is good, and it all ended up paying off. Big win on senior day. Yeah, when you played Georgia and then LSU um, to finish out your SEC season, given where the Gators are in their, uh, you know, without without really it was it, one thing. I actually, I'll, I'll just backtrack to our last podcast for people who you know are regular listeners, and we love you, our regular listeners. If you're listening to this, we were kind of talking about like, oh, you know, the Gators could go as climb as as high as like eight or nine. And one thing we like didn't really talk about that honestly did not really like strike me in the moment and probably should have was that like obviously the difference between eight and ninth in the sec standings is like not a big deal when there's like an eight nine game um, so um we could have talked about that i guess relative to, to what the gators needed to do and accomplish but they certainly didn't you know well probably didn't want to be 10 we'll talk sec bracket later but anyways um the gators are playing teams like georgia and now lsu who are at the bottom of the league um georgia didn't really have the opportunity to jump anyone um i forget how the tie breaks shook out for for lsu but they didn't really have the opportunity to um i don't think really jump anyone i'm not sure exactly how the tie breaks work but anyways it was just kind of the one of those games where you're like hey who's gonna come out and who's gonna want to be there um there's the senior night emotions um i'm still waiting for a team that wants to like completely like change what they're doing and decide to do senior night in like the middle of sec play. And I know that would be like kind of ridiculous, but like just always putting it at the end of the year, like luckily this year for the Gators, was it consequential? Not really. There's some years though, it seems very consequential. And we're talking about like senior night or, um, and, and how that's going to shake things out. But um, it's tough to know exactly how, you know, quote unquote motivated the Gators are or were, um, but yeah, you see a start like that against, against LSU, not great, but the adjustment was good. And, and like you said, I think the number that I was kind of, uh, going to kind of look at was how many threes does KJ Adams or KJ Williams, KJ Williams get off and, um, to see him like he had, he had nine against the Gators in the first matchup. He didn't even get hot luckily, but for a guy who shoots 43%, you don't want to see him take nine threes. And again, the Gators drop pick and rolls and he's going to pick and pop a lot. So you're going to live with those to an extent, but I think the Gators did well to keep within their defensive principles um, while also being able to stunt, take away that pick and pop three. And that's, so you have a lot of success. He had, you know, he had his moments because he's an excellent player, um, but you know, he wasn't able to completely take over the game. And uh, I do think the Gators, uh, while their defense, you know, overall has not been as, as stellar as we would have hoped the last couple of weeks, um, while LSU is not a often awesome offensive team and, using that as a barometer of where your defense is at is difficult. Um, I will say I thought the Gators had a pretty good defensive game plan and uh, took care of, of of Williams, particularly those pick and pop threes, which can be very deadly. Yeah, look, LSU, for all their flaws, came into the game shooting 40% from three in their last two games, shooting 36.5 in their last five. 
They shot three of 16 from deep, Eric. Um, and Florida's defensive efficiency went up from 34th to 32nd, which is difficult to do when you play a team that's like 150th or whatever in offensive efficiency. So, you know, a mild bump for the Gators. Obviously, most of that comes in a tremendous effort in the second half because Florida was in, again, they were, they looked bad in the first half. And in fact, they looked bad in the first media timeout of the second half. And then something happened. And I would venture to say that what happened was, Todd Golden changed his lineup a little bit and they just got tremendous energy from Niles Lane and Kowasi Reeves off the bench. Um, obviously Riley Kugel got hot. We can get to Riley Kugel. Uh, I did want to say that I wanted to get to these other guys first because not only did Golden do that, but I got to credit him for the adjustment to just go to that little trapping press. It really bothered LSU. That was really good. And something we haven't seen a whole lot. Again, the Gators have been largely, um, on the conservative side of things when it comes to, you know, their defensive game plan. We talk about dropping pick and rolls and how they're willing to live with those pick and pop threes that luckily didn't didn't fall in the, in the first uh, matchup with LSU. And and uh, to see them, yeah, show a little bit more aggressiveness there with, uh, with the trapping. I think that's something you like to see. And again, when it's now a couple of weeks in a row where the Gators have not defended particularly well, again, something I'll continue to remind people that also happened, you know, before Colin Castleton went out, but of course losing Colin Castleton is really going to change your defense. That's for sure. Um, yeah. To see them be able to, to change something up there that, that has success. I think that's got to be um, something the team and, and staff deserves some credit for. And also something that's um, uh, yeah, hopefully we, we see kind of moving into the sec tournament, which we'll certainly get to where again, the Gators are not going to be, you know, favored in, in some of these games or, you know, if they play a few games, <laughs> I should say if they play plural games, then uh, they're not going to be favored in those. So like they've got to do something maybe a little bit different, uh, a little bit different uh, defensively. And to see them make a change that, that, that works, that's something you, uh, you would love to see for sure. Yeah. I don't know if we'll see, I mean, you can never tell with Niles lane, what will happen. Um, you know, he was whatever he was against Kentucky and then played five minutes in the next game. Um, he was plus 10 uh, against Georgia, which are against Georgia, against LSU, which is really good. Uh, and he did that scoring one point, which kind of gets to the, you know, how he's such a good on-ball defender and he's a full court defender. He's, he's ideal for a team that wants to press and trap. Um, he had a block shot and an assist. Uh, actually made a really good choice to pass up a wide open three and get the ball to, to Will Richard, who knocked down a three that, kind of triggered the big Florida run. Um, so he played well. You don't know if you'll see him against Mississippi State, um, although he seems like a guy you might want to put on Shaquille Moore. We'll get to that, I promise. We're like eight minutes into the pod, so I'm not quite ready to go there yet. But, um, you know, Wacy Reeves was the other guy. Uh, and really, Wacy, um, with it wasn't just – it seemed like putting him in press situations – I don't know, like this can happen sometimes. And I don't know if Eric's experienced this coaching, but you can get kids mentally into the game sometimes with the press. You can wake them up a little bit. And I've never seen a play like Wacey made defensively where he um, he got back into the, to the half-court defense, stole the ball, and went the other way for a dunk. Sorry, my, my daughter is enjoying some YouTube videos tonight. So you, we do what we got to do here at Florida Basketball Hour. But – uh I loved the the go the other way and slam it home play by way. I, I haven't seen him make a defensive play that that was that instinctual. Um, 
in his career in Florida. And it was just fantastic to see. And, and speaking of plus minus, cause I love that, that statistic, but uh, that was, this was Wasey's best of the year plus 15 uh, in his 20 minutes. That's fantastic. Yeah. We're happy to have uh happy to have your daughter on the podcast this evening. And I will also point out to people that uh, Neil is uh, <laughs> very much setting up his, uh, this, the schedule around, around me um, this uh, Monday evening as we record. So, uh, so this is a, um, also, you know, this is, this is how it's had to work, but we're happy to have her. So um, yeah, I think that, uh, like you said, sometimes you, you kind of just get guys feet moving a little bit when you, when you get in the press, you kind of um, force them to kind of push things up from an intensity standpoint. Um, yeah. I, I, it's, it's one of those things where like, it's, it's always funny. I've since, I think, I don't know the the first couple podcasts we ever recorded like five years ago is I've always kind of expressed my uh, concerns with, pressing at the high major level I, I i i don't have i'm not a big fan of it um i think we've just largely seen it there's, there's just a reason like like oh my goodness like off the top of my head i can't even think of a game where the gators have had to play multiple presses outside of you know like maybe a desperation setting at the end of the end of the season right. but uh, yep and or end of the game sorry but um yeah it's just something you don't see a lot so you know is this something where i'm like well let's see the gators go out and do a bunch of pressing against Mississippi state, which again, we continue to start talking <laughs> the next game before we finish up. LSU. Yeah. Um, you don't know, but it can be used situationally for sure. And to see, see Quasi Reeves kind of get a big energy play. Like anytime you get a turnover, um, get, get a trap out of, out of a press and it turns into a bucket on the other end. Um, that's something that just is like, that is instant energy for sure. When it happens. So you're going to roll the dice a little bit with the press like that. Um, but they rolled the dice and it worked. And Hey, um, as much as I'm someone who is, not a big fan of, of pressing at the high major level. Don't think it's a particularly viable strategy at the high major level. I like dice rolls for this team. When you're not the most talented team in the SEC right now, and you're going to be playing more talented teams, um, which is not the case against LSU, but moving forward, you're going to have to roll the dice a little bit. So um, as much as people who listen to this podcast for, for years will say, oh, we'll see the Gators press and be like, oh, this is this is a, a shaky, shaky strategy. Hey, you got to be okay with some dice rolls here. Um, I'd much rather the Gators go to these again extreme strategies, try to do what they can to uh, to change the tempo of these games. So um, that's what they did. Again, not starting game great against LSU. That would have been a pretty devastating loss. There's not much more to hurt the Gators' resume at this point, but from a uh, just kind of uh, um, mindset standpoint, morale standpoint, yeah, you don't want to drop senior night game at home to to LSU. Um, so nice, nice to see that strategy pay off. Yeah, and I had mentioned on the last podcast. I mean, Florida still is the they're the sole program with they have the, just the one losing season um, this century. So it's the lowest number in the SEC. Would have tied Kentucky with a loss. Um, would have guaranteed a tie, barring some long SEC tournament run to get them on the other side. So to get to sixteen and fifteen, um, worst case scenario if they decline an NIT bid. They're 16 and 16 if they lose in the first round of the SEC tournament. They still don't have a losing season. I did get a couple of Twitter people who said, well, they could lose their next two and go 16 and 17. And I said, yeah, well, I'm sure they'd much rather have the opportunity to play that NIT game than just have a 15 and 16 regular season heading into the SEC tournament. You certainly don't want to lose to a 2 and 15 LSU on your home floor on senior night and and they did avoid it and i'm totally in agreement with eric on situational pressing i think we saw will wade use some strong ass situational pressing uh to a, a really solid effect during his tenure 
at LSU. And it was interesting to see kind of Todd Golden use that against LSU uh, to kind of turn the entire game around uh, the other day. I don't know. Again, it's not a real practical long-term decision. I mean, Rick Pitino isn't even doing it at Iona uh, most of the time, which he was, you know, famous for it at Kentucky and Louisville and his later Louisville teams were one of, they were dinosaurs in that sort of scheme. Uh, and even Rick Pitino has backed off of it to to the point that um, Eric is making. I, you know, I, the, one other guy that I wanted to isolate before we get to the great Riley Kugel, uh, who I think is a guy that, you know, we kind of need to talk about a little bit more, um, is Kyle Lofton. You know, Eric has mentioned it, I think, and he's put it best against teams that aren't that blessed with high level, like NBA type talent. Kyle's been excellent. He is an excellent college point guard (laughs) and he had an excellent basketball game on Saturday, 16 points, five rebounds, five assists, uh, a steal. I mean, just, he's a floor general and, and, um, he also edged closer to the most minutes played in the history of college basketball. Florida would have to go on kind of an extended NIT run for him to get there. But, uh, man, what a what a nice way for him to go out as well, Eric. Yeah, man, underrated. I mean, here I was watching Antoine Davis at Detroit Mercy trying to break the scoring record, and he still might. It's uh, if he, they go to the CBI um, as a Detroit Mercy team with a losing record. But, you know, people have been tracking that one. I, I just don't think there was enough play about this Kyle Lofton, you know, most minutes played ever. And um, maybe the Gators just go to the CBI and go on a run and, and get that record versus, uh, versus the NIT. No, I'm not <laughs> serious. Um, Though uh, I think people might remember a couple of years ago, um, West Virginia accepted a bid to the CBI, which I thought was like incredible <laughs> at the time. Um, again, that was their only offer. I'm, I'm not seriously suggesting the Gators should go to CBI in order to get uh, Kyle Lofton record for most uh, most minutes played. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I've said it again, and I, I always feel bad kind of bringing it up where it's like he has a good game, and then I have to point out that I'm always like, well, he's had these really good games against teams that aren't particularly talented or particularly athletic. That's, that's the big thing. Hey, we know Kyle Lofton's limitations. And like you said, we know his strengths. So I, I do think that when you have Colin Castleton in the game and you throw the ball into the post, uh, suddenly, you know, Kyle Lofton doesn't become the perfect player. Um, it's not like the Gators required um, within their scheme to get really deep post touches for Kyle, Colin Castleton, which of course I would have preferred. Um, so it's not like there was, you know, particularly difficult passing ails that need to be made. And then of course, once you throw it into him, that kind of name of the game is, is you kind of want spacing, especially for a team like Gators who don't run a bunch of split cuts or, or any action like that. So now that the Gators do not have a post player that they're trying to feature every single time down the floor, um, it actually looked a little bit better for, for Kyle Lofton, um, for sure. Like you said, the, the numbers kind of bear it out and the performance was like that as well. Um, again, he's got that kind of way of, of, of keeping his head up when he dribbles. And then he's got those like, um, like kind of like he'll mix like long steps and short steps in order to like mess up the timing of his defender on the way to the rim. And we saw him just get a couple layups like that. And you're like, Oh man, how did he get, make that layup look so easy? And it was cause he just like used that change of pace and, and, and change of stride to just destroy a defender. So um, that was excellent. Um, again, he's someone who I feel like earlier in the season, we, we talked about a lot and some of that was expectations the last couple of weeks. It's just kind of been like, not really a discussion point on the podcast. He just kind of is what he is. Um, he's never been someone who was 
like so bad that we had to, you know, really discuss him in, in losses. But of course we know that the ceiling isn't particularly high where the Gators are playing the best teams in the sec and he's playing outstanding basketball. Um, but uh, to see, you know, it's, it's there, there is, there is value of taking care of business. Every time you, you, you play, um, you, you, you play a team that uh, you, you should be more talented than. And uh, you know, that's one of the things that, the, like the only reason that the Gators had a fighting chance at an NCAA tournament for some of this year was because they took care of business in games that they should have won. And part of that is, is the play of Kyle Lofton for sure. Is Kyle Lofton a big ceiling raiser? Um, no, that was, I mean, for me personally, very apparent from the time that they recruited him, that he was not going to be a ceiling raiser. Is he a floor raiser? Yes, I would say that. And uh, Hey, that's what, that's what happened where the Gators, you know, take care of business against LSU. <laughs> this, a lot a lot of discussion there from from uh, uh from the other side of neil's neil's zoom but uh hey I, I actually have a question for for you i was gonna ask you know speaking taking care of business um i don't even remember his his twitter handle i know he listens so i'm so hard so sorry but his davis perry and he's in one of malik's group chats and he tweeted out something that um uh the gators with this win makes gold in seven and oh versus um first year coaches in the sec that of course counts mike white who's not like a first year coach to you know be at the league but right first year right. to his team um what is your reaction to a seven and oh season against um first year coaches in, in the sec i don't think it matters at all just means he had a really good roster compared to those guys <laughs> <laughs> that's succinct um yeah i i think it's one of those things that that kind of like makes you like again and 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 i feel bad i i, I don't know like i i don't know what perry was thinking when he tweeted this so i don't want to put words in his mouth but i'll say what my interpretation was um it's just another one of those things that points to that the Gators took care of business against teams that they should have beat and couldn't right. really beat anyone. They couldn't like, when you think of the fact like that, that that's what really struck me about, about that stat, which I never really thought about. I, I know you brought this up, like what I think he was four and oh, or like five and oh, or something. And I hadn't thought about it before then, but it's like, you know, when you think about it, it's like the Gators got, um, you know, nine wins in sec play and seven of them were against first year coaches and when right. you look at that, that's, you know, LSU at the bottom of the league, that's South Carolina at the bottom of the league, that's Georgia at the bottom of the league, that's Mississippi State. At that. um, and then, you know, of course, hey, Dennis Gates in Missouri doing a great job this year. Um, but I think that's it's one of those stats that like, yeah, I wouldn't say changes my perception of anything um, particularly. Um, but uh, so if someone wants to use that as, as a really positive stat, um, hey, more power to you. But I think that that's just another stat that's just an example of the fact that the Gators season is, and their win against LSU the last game of the season uh, is just that there's the, the whole year was marked by the fact that the Gators could, you know, beat teams that weren't very good, that they were more talented than, um, but they just, you know, with the exception of one game against Tennessee, um, we're just not able to beat teams that were, you know, favored or better than them or more talented or whatever you want to say um the gators did a pretty good job of beating up on teams that were lesser than them in talent not so much being able to um steal any games yeah no really well said um i did want to point out one statistical thing that i thought was super interesting and kind of get your take on it um but will richard had another good game i know i mentioned i was only going to talk about lofton before we got to Cougar, but richard was 18 points seven to ten shooting 
three of six from three. There was a while there where like only Roll Richard had made a three and the rest of the team was like over seven, um, <laughs> which seems par for the course. Richard's offensive rating is 125.4. Um, that, if it holds, will be the highest for a Gator since Michael Frazier on Florida's final four team. <laughs> um, and before that, Eric Murphy the year prior on an elite eight team. Um, he is 34th in the country in Kim Palm offensive rating. Um, so, you know, I think that the question marks about him as an NBA player are upper level athleticism, right? Um, and maybe is his release really fast enough given there's an athleticism deficit? I've heard that mentioned a couple times, although I saw it live in person against Georgia and he seems to get the ball off pretty quick, but he's playing Georgia, so it's hard to kind of evaluate that. Um, but, uh, you, you know, your thoughts, cause it seems like the offensive player that we think he can be still, he's still developing some things in his offensive game, Eric, but he's pretty steady on the defensive end, pretty decent two-way player and obviously having a spectacularly efficient first season at Florida. Yeah, it would be pretty interesting to me if he declared for the draft to go through the process this year. Um, I would not be big on him from an NBA draft standpoint. Um, again, just because I think largely his his you know only it seems kind of funny to even say NBA level skill, but I'll say his only NBA level skill is his is his catch and shoot three point shooting, which is yep. really good. Um, people want to make threes, but it's just one of those things where like and like you said too, his his defense is steady. I don't think it's like truly elite um which uh, i'd be interested to see some of these scouts and nba evaluators with what they think um and then again it's just one of those things that like when you're looking at someone who's going to be a three and d player you're looking at like oh can i get someone who's six foot seven and six foot eight um well richard's you know six five um yes he's got the wingspan i know that resident wingspan truther malik grady will 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 want to just jump in as soon as i mentioned that he's not <laughs> six seven or six eight and say say like oh well he's got you know this you know, whatever his wingspan is. And I know we talked about his wingspan. It was a big thing when he committed, but um, I know he's got a great wingspan, but, um, and then of course that he's not a great athlete, which is, you know, he's, a, he's not a bad athlete necessarily, but he's not like an explosive athlete. So um, again, I just think like teams are going to look for a little bit more um, elite, elite physical measurements, um, a little bit more athleticism, and then maybe someone who's a little bit better with the ball in his hands, making plays. And it's pretty incredible that he's, um, like he's put together a fantastic season. There, there's no question. Just it, he's been, a, a, I'll, I'll say a quote unquote winning player on a team that has, has not won a ton. Um, he's made winning plays, you know, on a team that has not won a ton of games. Um, of course the shooting has been uh, excellent and he doesn't take bad shots, which is why his offensive rating is able to be so, um, so excellent. It's, it's really shot selection and then very consistent shooting. Um, you know, he's, he's, but had a great season. I don't see him as an NBA player at this moment. Um, if he wants to go test the, test the waters, uh, more power to him. Um, if he, if a team was going to want to give him a two-way deal, I would be like, Hey, that is awesome. Good for you, man. That's like an incredible story coming from Belmont playing one year at Florida. Uh, but he, he is someone that I would would expect to be back. And while we're talking about the transfer portal and the one-time transfer rule, like these are guys that are like, at, like when you think, like I didn't really think about this at the time and I should have, and maybe some of our smarter listeners will have thought about this, but like legitimately the most 
valuable transfer you could probably get right now is like a Will Richard transfer. Someone who played one year and then transferred because he can't transfer again without penalty. So he's probably going to be at Florida for multiple years. Again, we'll see if he decides to go pro. But like, you know, this is a guy like in, in a world of, hey, how do we keep a guy on campus for multiple years, whether it's from high school or whether you're getting transfers. If you get a transfer after one year, like he can't really go anywhere. Again, I, I don't think he would be particularly keen to sit out. So this is probably a guy the Gators are going to have for multiple years. And we saw that he played really valuable basketball this year in a not great situation. So like the situation improves, he could be like a consummate, like the, the elite role player that any team needs to, you know, if the, if the high end talent was better on this team and the execution of this team was better, he would be the perfect kind of role player. So there's definitely a world that exists where, yeah, he's like, you know, has a truly incredible year at Florida, whether that's, you know, one more year or two more years, whatever it is. Um, I do think he has some stuff to him where there's a chance he's an NBA player in the future, but yeah, I, I, I don't see it for this year personally. Yeah, I don't either. I just, it, it's interesting to have and flesh out that discussion, especially as we consider whether another player on the Gators is an NBA player now. And that's Riley Google, eighth straight game and double figures for Riley had 17 in the second half. Uh, you know, kind of shot Florida out of their funk uh, four or five from deep um, in that half. He's up to 90, the 93rd percentile right now um, per synergy in uh, shots off the bounce. Um, so, you know, he's really comfortable just launching it from, from beyond the, uh, beyond the arc off the dribble. Uh, and he's the first skater freshman since Florida's last one and done freshman uh to go eight straight games in double figures matching the great bradley beal uh in that category eric thoughts on on riley in this game man because gosh he is good and that, that, that just reminds me I, I again some some people on the gator country forums just absolutely kill me um again anyone who's on forums will know that there's like distinct different personalities <laughs> between like Florida fans on Twitter and like Florida fans on message boards. And, and, and I'm, I, I'm only on Gator country. Um, uh, but I, I, I know that some people even talk about the differences between, um, you know, the, the, the culture of, of boards between like 24 seven and on three and Gator country. But anyway, someone just like, there's just like every once in a while, someone says something that like really kills me. And this one guy posted like, like a, a nine paragraph post but every like three sentences, he said, "Has like has, has anyone seen Bradley Beal and Riley Kugel in the same room together?" And it was just like this like <laughs> post of like like semi like he just was like dead serious <laughs> that he thought that this was like you know he's just like and again it's one of those things that's funny where like Bradley Beal was like obviously great at Florida he was like I don't think anyone knew that he was going to be what he was at the NBA level based on what he was at, at Florida so of course he's like well Bradley Beal only did this at Florida and Riley Kugel's doing this and like you know if Bradley Beal went on so again it was uh it was logically flawed for sure but uh hey I loved it I loved the post um so it's just funny you mentioned Bradley Beal um because Riley Kugel is doing some incredible stuff as as a freshman and um it's it's I, I think what's really going to be interesting and again we're getting into talks that are well beyond Florida basketball and well into the NBA at large. Um, but I will say this, one of the running storylines um, with NBA basketball to take Florida completely out of the equation for 90 seconds here um, is that the draft looks really good in, in 2023, not just Victor Wembanyama, not just Scoot Henderson, not just, uh, you know, 
Brandon Miller, if you see what happens and, and, you know, Nick Smith, the, uh, the Thompson brothers at, at the G league at night, um, you know, there's some, there's some excellent players everywhere. Um, they're not G league at night. Anyway, or, I, are they G league at night or overtime? I I'm blanking right now as I, as I do this podcast. Anyways, uh, I'm Andrew sword Thompson. Um, there's some really good players at the top of the draft. There's also really good depth in this draft in 2023. There is, the 2024 draft is considered to be very, very, very weak. Um, that is, that is like, seems to be consensus among draft people. Um, and uh, it's going to be interesting because now we'll let's tie Riley Kugel into the situation. Um, the name of the game is really like, at least in my opinion, and everyone's different, everyone's different. Um, but I think for the name of the game, generally, if I had to make a, a, a broad statement would be for players that you're trying to get a first round draft pick. And after that, it doesn't really matter. Uh, there's almost some advantages to being undrafted versus being a, a second round pick. So the name of the game is to be a first round pick because first round pick is, is, is millions of dollars that are fully guaranteed. So um, for if, if I'm Riley Kugel, I think that the conversation right now is do or I'll, I'll I shouldn't say the conversation. Um, my cert, my current opinion of Riley Kugel that you can respond to Neil is if I think that if he goes in the draft this year, um, he maybe gets drafted in the second round or maybe it's undrafted, but to me, there's not a big difference. Um, and he'll get a two way NBA deal. Um, or he comes back to Florida and he has, in my opinion, what would be a really good chance to get into the first round, how high we can debate, but I think he'll have a good chance of getting into the first round in what is a very weak draft year. And if you get into the first round, that is guaranteed millions of dollars, no matter what happens. So, um, Again, everyone's different, so I don't know. Everyone's life situation is different. Everyone's goals are different. Um, everyone's what they enjoy is different. Um, whether it's the college experience or, or going pro, so I don't. I would never say this is better for a player. I shouldn't say never. There's there's times I probably would say that, um, but I do think there would be an argument that 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 Florida staff could certainly make to Riley Kugel. That would be like, hey. Um, you could go and maybe get a, a two-way contract that maybe pays you a couple hundred thousand dollars if things go incredible, if things go incredible. Or you could come back to Florida, make X amount of dollars in NIL, but you'll have a great shot at making a guaranteed $6 million over three years. Um, and then, you know, hopefully that turns into tens of millions of dollars and maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. But that's my current thoughts about the Riley Kugel draft situation. What, uh, what, is, your, what is your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. All I was going to add was that, you know, it, it's something I mentioned on podcasts and it was think it was in the middle of the podcast. Here we are in the middle of one again. But um, Florida has been preparing for this sort of explosion from Google in the NIL space for weeks um, and months. If if based on the conversations I had at the beginning of February, and, this, you know, beginning of February was really he was kind of on the edge of of exploding. Um but hadn't really rattled this off. And there were high level boosters that were like, look, one guy that we've got to get the NIL package right for is Riley. Um, we want to get him back. The coaches need him in the program. So Florida's going to put, a, you know, a package together that I think is very attractive to him. That doesn't mean he's going to stay. That doesn't mean he's not going to be enticed by a two way deal. He may not like school that much. We don't know. I'm not going to speak uh, for Riley Kugel. I think there's definitely some message board cowboys that are like, he's not real into school. And I've been, you know, cool, man. I, did you, did he text you that? You know, that, that would be my response um, to that. He sure did work really hard to get into Florida for somebody that's not. Uh, that right. I, 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 I'm sure that's extrapolating from that story for sure. Exactly. Like it seems just so ridiculous given all the work he did to actually make sure that he could go to Florida, um, you know, I don't want to hear any of that. The point being, 
that it will not be because Florida does not have an NIL package that Riley leaves. That's what I'll say. Florida will have something together that is attractive to him, and he will either take that or I think he will go. I do not think there's any, you know, I've heard whispers of transfer and stuff. I don't think Todd Golden would come out publicly and say we don't think he's going anywhere if he was going somewhere. Um, and, you know, I've had conversations. This is Florida basketball, Eric, year five. You you guys know Eric and me. We're not really, like, in the business of reporting things that we don't know for sure. And Florida is in a good place in terms of NIL and basketball. So, you know, they'll have something put together for him, Eric, and, and I'm sure it'll be attractive, as you mentioned. Yeah, the, the transfer stuff, it's like I, I like I like to be honest with you, I'm open to the possibility of anyone transferring at, at any moment. Like uh it's like For sure. You know, as as much as I think that Florida is gonna be able to have a competitive NIL deal, it's just you know, you just never know these days, uh, quite frankly. Um even competitive deals can can get get beat. And again, it just matters what's important. Like if if there's someone else who offers him a hundred thousand dollars more than an NIL deal, just again just for a number I'm pulling out of nowhere with zero speculation. Um, like, again, it's like he has the chance to make millions of dollars guaranteed in my opinion. So uh, would one, would it, would a hundred thousand dollars with $200,000 with $300,000 um, really change his opinion? If he thought that wherever he was at was going to um, help or detract him from getting guaranteed millions of dollars in a year. Like, again, I just think where there's just so much money available at the NBA level that some of these like numbers that's, that's, that are thrown around. Um, it's, it's, it's just, you know, like for, for some players that are not going to be NBA players, it's like, oh yeah, like the difference in a, like a hundred thousand dollars or something that could be massive um, or a couple hundred thousand dollars. That's massive. But when you're dealing with a player that has aspirations and abilities, or I shouldn't say aspirations. I don't know what his aspirations are um, when he's got the raw talent, in my opinion, to be a first round pick and get millions of dollars. Like, again, it's just, you know, I, at least if I were in those, that position, I would say what's going to be the best opportunity uh, to put me in that position. Is that Florida? Is that somewhere else? I mean, you know, I guess, guess we'll, we'll see, but I'd have to imagine that, uh, you know, the Gators are the leader in the clubhouse with that, uh, with home court advantage here um, to, uh, um, you know, have that, uh, have that chance to keep them. So um, it, it's certainly going to be interesting to see. I, I, I love, I, I, I really do think the draft, NBA draft community on Twitter is, is incredible. It's, it's genuinely really cool. Like again, and I, I don't, I don't do as much as I used to do, but I still do cover the, the NBA draft for NBA Canada, as well as NBA J Japan and a couple of international properties. Um, and to see like guys that I, when I was writing about the draft four years ago, um, like there's guys that I remember talking draft with that are now working for the Rockets guys that are now working with the Suns. Like there's guys that are really good minds um on like nba draft twitter and we are now seeing these nba draft twitter people talking about riley kugel and uh i think that that's uh you know when there's smoke there's fire i'll say in my opinion when some of these good draft guys on twitter i know some people are going to roll their eyes at like oh you're telling me the twitter experts are saying something and that means the team's interested you know when it comes to draft twitter and some of the guys that are talking about riley kugel i i actually you know I will say when there's smoke, there's fire. But again, is it one yeah, of those situations right. where one of these teams is going to say like, hey, we really like this guy. Can we like, I think we'd like to use our 53rd pick on him or we'd like to give him a two-way deal um, with a guaranteed couple of hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, or there are guys saying like, oh man, this could be a situation where uh, um, he could be a first round in a year, in a year. Or um, I will say the most, uh, 
I don't even know if I should bring this to the podcast. Uh, a Malik Grady take um, where he was pointing out the similarities with Josh Primo um, to Riley Kugel. And as people will uh, remember, um, Josh Primo from Alabama didn't even have that <clears throat> great of a freshman year. And um, the Spurs kind of, you know, I, I won't say kind of reached aggressively for him, kind of essentially saying like, oh, well, most people have him as a late second now, but we think he's going to be first year. So we're just going to take him in the first round now. Um, I, I don't think that would happen. But it was an interesting theory, kind of, or not theory, idea floated by by Malik Grady. Yeah. No, no doubt. I mean, it's exciting just to watch, you know, what's happening with him. Um, and it's, you know, maybe that's a reason people tune into the NIT. Who knows? Like, see how far Riley Google can take Florida through the NIT. I mean, it's not like, you know, he's certainly shown he's capable against a bunch of NCAA tournament teams in the last month it, it could be interesting to see him play the the bradleys of the world uh as, as florida gets ready to move forward first he'll get to play the school he committed to uh mississippi state he played a little bit in the last game that the gators played also hit a huge desperation three in a game florida won by two <laughs> and in starkville um so florida gets ready to play miss state they're going to play without colin castleton uh, Castleton was kind of quiet in the first half in the last game, blew up in the second half, but he really did a great job on Tolu Smith, which really could be where this game is won and or lost. Is Florida does not have a ton uh, to to deal with him. Um, Jason Jatobo is going to have to put body on him and and hope that that goes well. Um, you're going to see a lot of JJ, and and we'll see what Florida does when Jatobo needs a breath. Miss State is an interesting team. They started out great, eleven and zero. Um, they really struggled. They went one and eight over a stretch. Uh, then after that, they went eight and three down the stretch, kind of turned their season around when they beat TCU in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. That was before the injury to uh, the TCU star. Um, they get that win. Um, and uh, I think that was – a pretty huge deal, obviously, when you beat Mike Miles and TCU, uh, you, you know, build a little momentum. They won a bunch of games. Their only losses in that stretch have been all by five points or less. All the teams either in NCAA tournament consideration or in the NCAA tournament. Um, so they're playing well. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, they'll have a good plan for Florida. They still do struggle to score. They're only a handful of spots ahead of Florida in uh, Ken Palm overall, but they play great defense. So they'll challenge Florida's, you know, kind of reinvented half court offense without Colin Castleton, Eric. And obviously they'll challenge Florida on the interior without Colin Castleton. Yeah. I, I, if I was um, thinking, I would have uh, looked at Bartorvik and, and, and looked at the last 10 games, but it is interesting because you know the Gators um, are three and six in their last nine. Their three wins have come over the basement of the uh, SEC, essentially Ole Miss, Georgia, and, and LSU. So the Gators are not in a you know not playing their best basketball, <clears throat> whereas uh, Mississippi State is. <clears throat> oh, dying a little bit. Um, so to see that they're uh, um, they have wins over Texas A&M and Arkansas. And TCU, like you mentioned, Missouri, like they're playing their best basketball right now. And uh, I think Bracket Matrix had them as an 11 seed. So 
you know, they have an opportunity here. Like, like that's the other thing too, that I think people need to, you know, remember is like, this is the Gators team that is, um, they're three and six in their last nine. Those three wins have come against the basement of the SEC. So really things are not, you know, they're not playing their best basketball. No one's, you know, no one's surprised by that. Mississippi state is playing some of their best basketball of the year. And uh, when you look at motivations, the Gators are maybe trying to find out if they can host an NIT game or not. Um, whereas Mississippi state is like an 11 seed trying to get a better seed. So I, I, you know, again, we try not to play psychologists here, you know, see who's going to be more motivated. Um, but this is a Mississippi state team that is playing good basketball and is very motivated to get a couple of wins here, hopefully, or at least one win for them in, in the. Yeah. And they, they were super competitive against Alabama twice. Um, you know, played a one possession game with Alabama at home played a game that was within six points with a minute to go in Tuscaloosa lost by 11. Um, so I think they know that they can be competitive against Alabama and Alabama isn't playing great right now. Um, no matter what anybody tells you about how fantastic they are. Uh, they haven't played that well since the, the news broke. I think it's, it's, I think it hasn't distracted them enough to where they've lost anything but one game. But it certainly has affected their play, I think, um, all the outside noise. Uh, and how could it not? There's so much of it. Um, so I think they'll view Alabama as more vulnerable um, and maybe think that they have a chance to, to make a nice run in the SEC tournament, put any NCAA tournament speculation to bed. You know, Lenardi has them in the last four in, Eric. A guy I trust more, Lucas Harkins, has them in the last four buys, which really I think is more mm. appropriate as to where they are. If you look at their actual profile, um, you know, we kind of knocked it earlier in the year, but now they've got a pretty good win over a, a win over a Utah team out of the Pac-12 that like the computers like a lot. They've got that win over TCU. Like you said, they beat Missouri, they beat Texas A&M, they beat Arkansas. You know, I don't know. They've got a lot of a, a lot of nice victories, and the other thing they do is, for the most part, you know, the net rewards beating people. And at least in the last month, they've won by like the margins they should win by um, against lesser competition as well. So it'll be interesting. I think certainly there's an element to to this motivation factor, and then there's just the X's and O's. Like I don't know what Florida necessarily can do to deal with not just the fact that, that Tolu Smith has been a problem, but like Florida really struggled with Will McNair when Castleton got a breather in the first game. And like, so they can give Tolu a breather and throw out 6'11", 255 Will McNair who moves pretty good. And like, I don't know who guards him, Eric. Yeah. I, I know that the Gators went a little smaller with, with Alex Fudge. Um, I know that uh, that's something that, that they've been talking about about a little bit and uh um again i haven't been particularly thrilled with the play of jason jatobo unfortunately um and uh this is a mississippi mississippi state team that's excellent on the offensive glass the gators have not been good on the defensive glass uh no matter who they have on the floor at this current junction um and again that's even something that's i i, I will say as much as i continue to um say that you know maybe the current centers aren't getting it done <clears throat> um, even when Con Castleton was 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 still healthy and playing, the Gators were still not very good on the defensive glass. So those those problems did predate 
Castleton getting injured, though the guys, you know, stepping up, I, I you know, have, have not been good enough in that that area. Um, but I think the Gators might, you know, it's one of those situations where maybe the Gators do say like, hey, we're going to be giving up something on the inside anyways. We're going to be giving up offensive rebounds anyways. Um, let's put whoever we like from an offensive standpoint. Um, let's put them out there. I do wonder from an offensive standpoint if the Gators would prefer Jason Jatobo, who's got that, you know, carve out space, soft touch around the rim, seal a guy. Um, or if it's, you know, Alex Fudge who, hypothetically can shoot you know percentages aren't great but no one's too surprised when he knocks down from the outside um and then of course it's just going to be a little bit more dynamic with the ball in his hands if he gets it on the perimeter um so be interesting for sure um and then from a defensive standpoint as well um it's it's always like a little bit dangerous saying like ken palm stats um at this point of the year because they just changed so quickly with all the games going on but as we currently record the podcast at this moment um mississippi state is dead last 363rd in the country in three-point percentage. Um, you know, people like to talk about how the Gators have struggled to make shots this year. It could be much worse. It could be much, much worse. So they're, yeah, they're last in the country in three-point percentage. And that's something that's also made Tolu Smith's season so incredible. The fact that I think he's averaging 15 points a game in just like, I, I think everyone kind of knows if you're going to have a post player, the thing that uh, you want around them is, is guys that can shoot the basketball. Uh, and there's been no no spacing there for Tolu Smith and he's still been a, a very effective score so um i, I really do think Tolu smith is is incredible i i kind of you know it's not like his mississippi state teams have ever been terrible but you know they made a coaching change for a reason and he stuck around in a transition i i always thought he maybe deserved a, a little bit better because i actually think if he was on a winning program he'd be someone that would be known so much more nationally um and and uh yeah, just just a bigger name in college basketball where I feel like he's someone that guys in the SEC know, but I don't know how many people nationally really know Tolu Smith's name. Um, but he's been very good. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see like the Gators could go a little bit smaller, I think. Well, they, they're going to have to go a little smaller when they are smaller. If Tolu Smith, for example, is going to try to take advantage of Alex Fudge, I think the Gators are going to be able to just like, you know, pretty relentlessly and shamelessly send double teams and then like dare Shaquille Moore, you know, whoever it is, like some some 27, 26% three-point shooter on the perimeter to, to beat them. Um, that's kind of the, the, the situation that, uh, that that comes when you've got guys like Shaquille Moore shooting 27% and DJ Jeffrey shooting 27% and, um, you know, Cam Matthews, who's not a threat at all. Like, um, yeah, it's, it, it you know, it is tough to, to win at the game of basketball when you don't shoot the ball well. And, uh, you know, Mississippi State, th- that, that's something that honestly, like, if you just like to, to say that a team at the high major level is going to be last in the country in three-point percentage and make the NCAA tournament as an at-large, like, hey, that's uh, pretty impressive. And of course, that's uh, largely because of their work on the defensive end, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, I think the Gators will at least be able to, like, I, like this is a game where I honestly wonder if the Gators maybe. We just should play whatever lineup they think is is uh, is is best um, is best offensively because you know defensively I think the game plan is going to be the same you know matter what it's going to be like double to a Smith on the inside. Yeah, I think Florida has had good plans against teams with outstanding bigs this year. I will say that like I think Florida defensively has had solid plans against teams with star bigs. We saw it with Oscar Shibwe. We saw it with. Uh, KJ Williams twice. Um, I think really the second time, not the first time. <laughs> um, you know, KJ just happened to miss shots in Baton Rouge. Florida had a good plan this past weekend. We saw it uh, even with mediocre bigs like Braylon Bridges. Um, I think Florida will have a nice plan. They managed to make Mississippi State make shots in the second half, and Miss State happened to shoot the ball okay, and they were able to come back. Um, 
but Florida kind of said, hey, Deshaun Davis beat us. Hey, Shaquille, Me- Shaquille Moore, like we're not going to let you just drive to the bucket all the time. We want to see you make some shots and beat us. Um, and so, you know, credit them for that. Uh, I think Florida will have a good plan. Um, you know, I'm sure that the staff is all jacked up for their first SEC tournament. They'd love to go out and get beat by 40 by Alabama. Um, so, you know, um, no, I'm messing around. You know, who knows what will happen. The way <laughs> It's just not the best matchup for Florida in the history of the world. Uh, and then there's always the Riley Kugel factor, right? Like he's kind of on a different planet right now than he was uh, when Florida played state the last time. So like, does that offset the loss of Colin Castleton? I don't know, but um, it'll be interesting. First game out of the gates on Thursday. Uh, you're not playing at night. It's kind of that weird start time. Um, I didn't do any of the, hey, here's Florida's record when the game is tipped at noon or one o'clock stuff. I didn't look at any of that. Um, but you know, if you can't get up for this, uh, especially when you have a bunch of seniors that, you know, know that if somehow they were able to upset Alabama, then they bust the bracket wide open and like Tennessee without Zakai Ziegler is in their side of the bracket. Like, I don't know, man, get out there and, and, uh, go see what happens. But I don't think it's a spectacular matchup for Florida just cause like the strength of Florida really would be to like shut down a pretty good perimeter shooting team that isn't super dominant on the offensive glass. And like, I don't know if this is like, this is certainly the antithesis of that matchup. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I mean, uh, it almost like it's one of those situations and we sometimes talk about it when we talk about uh, the NCAA tournament, we talk about it when the Gators were a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament couple of years ago playing against Virginia Tech um, how you know sometimes a 7-10 game is a little bit better than to be in than an 8-9 game and uh, it's one of those things that like the way that that things kind of broke this year uh, in the SEC with like seven seed Auburn um, you know finishing 10th um, that, that wouldn't have been you know the the, the worst uh, outcome necessarily right. um, I think a lot of people wouldn't mind playing Auburn with playing Texas A&M if they were to win that one um, cause Texas a being the two seed. Um, and then you also look at that side of the bracket and the three seed is Kentucky where again, the Gators have had their issue with Kentucky. Don't get me wrong, but you know, that's, uh, I think everyone would rather see Auburn, Texas A&M, and then, you know, Kentucky hypothetically, than Mississippi state. And then, you know, Alabama, um, again, I think people would probably like a Missouri match, but if they got there, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. Um, but right. again, it is one of those situations where I actually don't know if, uh, the Gators winning and moving up to eighth from a SEC tournament standpoint um, was was particularly uh, yeah was was particularly uh, uh, nice to the team. But um, I'm sure like if the Gators do win this game or if whoever wins between Mississippi Mississippi State and Florida, hey, I'm sure it's going to be pretty easy for them to say like, hey, this is a, a distracted Alabama team. This is an and and again every every single year we see this um, more in leagues like that are traditionally powers like the, the ACC or which is not a power this year um, or the big 12, which is regularly big. Uh, but every year you see teams that are like essentially locked up with number one seeds that they just like, don't really care about the SEC or sorry about their conference tournament. And they're like, can they almost don't mind getting upset. And then it's like, great. We've got an extra few days to like, like there's just been so many years where like North Carolina or, you know, whoever has been like locked up a one seed. And then it's like, wow, they, or Kansas, like, wow, they get upset in their conference tournament. And it's like, 
you know, I don't know how much they cared about that one. Um, hey, maybe Alabama's, you know, would be content to get upset and and get some extra days of rest. It's not going to hurt them. It's not going to take like they're a one seed no matter what. I'm sure they want to be the number one overall seed. Um, but still, yeah, you know, so yeah, yeah, unless their t- their metrics get you know completely decimated by a loss to Florida. But um, you know, no, I'm I'm joking. I I think they're prob so so again, hey, you you beat Mississippi State or hey, if Mississippi State beats Florida, I'm sure they could talk themselves into a, a distracted Alabama team um to whom the game doesn't matter a ton necessarily. Again, we can also argue what uh an SEC tournament banner means to people or programs or fans in uh in in this sure. era. Um yeah. but anyways it's uh yeah, I would love to talk about an, an Alabama game with with the Gators, but I got to get through Mississippi State first. Don't think it's necessarily a great matchup for the Gators. Um, last time it was a complete rock fight that the Gators were able to to hold on <laughs> for. Um, uh, we'll see if they can do that again. That's it. Um, you know, a couple of qu- closing notes here before Eric signs us off um, as we record here on. Monday, Colin Castleton, first team All SEC. Congrats to Colin. Um, Colin is a member of the Gatorverse, who is kind enough to sponsor the Florida Basketball Hour podcast. Thank you, Gatorverse. That's an exclusive community uh, where uh, you have a chance to buy collectibles for their various athletes, like Colin Castleton, and a lot of that revenue goes right back to the athletes, which kind of was the whole idea behind NIL in the first place. To learn more. About Gatorverse, visit Gatorverse.io. That's Gatorverse.io. Also, Riley Kugel, named to the All-SEC freshman team. Um, give me that All-SEC freshman five versus the world, by the way. Like, Esau mm. <laughs> Wallace, Chris Livingston, uh, Brandon Miller, um, Riley Kugel. I'm forgetting who the other guy was, but, I mean – with that four alone, I feel like I can challenge the Klingons for world domination. Um, so, you know, they're, they're at least something there. Uh, but, but Riley does it, uh, gets into the all freshman team conversation and congrats to Buzz Williams uh, on the SEC coach, uh, or was it Buzz? Yeah, I think it was Buzz. Uh, SEC coach of the year honor. Um, just uh, very, very well-deserved. And, and uh, so there you go. Uh, some some notes on the SEC, all SEC selections, Eric. Yeah, uh, they did the co-coach of the year, which I thought was um, funny. So it was Buzz Williams and Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah, there you go. I don't think a lot of people would yeah, have surprised necessarily. Um, I think a lot of people wanted Dennis Gates. Um, including people that was were tweeting at the show that we should have voted for Dennis Gates. I I, I certainly understand that one. There was discussion about that. Um, yeah, I think I was maybe even more the the louder one for uh, for Buzz Williams. Um, so you can you know direct your you know d- distaste towards me. Um, yeah, both would have been good. Um, it's uh, honestly, if I if not for the, his handling of the Brandon Miller situation, I would have thought that Nate Oates would have also been deserving. Again, I know a lot of people don't like that, but it's um, I, I'm not always the like a fan of like the who had the least expectations and then you know play better than those expectations interpretation of, of coach of the year. I kind of think like, wow, this is a pretty incredible run that Alabama has been on over the last few years and it's been sustained. So maybe Nate Oates deserves a vote. Um, but I, you know, don't think he helped his team's situation um, with his handling of recent events. So it wasn't someone we, we totally considered. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that uh, I do think that Buzz Williams is, you know, that was our vote. Um, 
I don't, I, we didn't put a lot of consideration into Jerry Stackhouse, but like, it's one of those things where like, what did we do every time that the Gators talked about playing the Commodores? Like it was like, Jerry Stackhouse is incredible and he's going to drop incredible offense and going to find a way to like get the most out of his guys. So like, it was one of those things that like, as soon as I saw his like co coach of the year, I was kind of like, you know, maybe me and Neil should have put more thought into, into Stackhouse. I still feel certainly comfortable with our vote of, of Buzz Williams, yeah, me too. Um, but no, no issue at all actually with, with Stackhouse. Right. And I kind of feel even a little bit embarrassed that I didn't put as much thought into that yeah, one as, as a good I, show. I should. Um, but it was, and then with Colin Castle, you know, he didn't miss that many games. So I'm really glad that there was not anyone who was like, oh, well, you know, this, you know, he didn't play enough games to qualify or whatever in, in someone's mind. And hey, who knows? Maybe there was a voter like that, but hey, they got drowned out. Um, so yeah, those are kind of kind of, kind of my thoughts. And uh, uh, looking at the first team as as well, and uh, I think that that echoed a lot of a lot of our votes. Uh, so no no big uh, um, omissions or, or or issues there. Um, it's good to see. I think uh, you know, good well, well done to the to the voting public here in the the SEC this year. Yeah. No. Um... They did do a really good job. Um, Castleton was also named to the all SEC defensive team. Um, so I think, uh, you know, that's that's pretty cool as well. Um, Blake Lovell shared that he voted for Colin Castleton uh, for SEC Defensive Player of the Year. And, and um, he had him as his fourth ranked overall player in the SEC. Uh, on his ballot because they did ask you to order them. Um, so I just ordered them in the way that Eric sent them to me, but he did put Brandon Miller at the top. So that was fine <laughs> as it, as it ended up working out. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, Liam Robbins actually won defensive player of the year by a handful of votes over Colin Castleton for those that were actually curious about that. Um, so, you know, I don't know, I guess, uh, certainly Liam got the better of Colin the one time they played, uh, although Colin had like 29 points and 13 rebounds in that game. So I don't really think it was really a Colin Castleton issue <laughs> um, uh, as much as it was other stuff. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse, maybe, which goes to Eric's point. But I will let Eric sign us off. Enjoy the SEC tournament. Enjoy championship week. I will plug my own stuff, which I don't think I do very much. So if, if you guys are annoyed at me, whatever. Um, but I have a cool ACC tournament primer up at Saturday Road. That starts tomorrow, and I will also have an ACC roundtable discussion on that, uh, why you gamblers should bet on Duke, and uh, some other things over there. Not even hating on the Canes, but it's in Greensboro, y'all. Um, <laughs> it's Duke. They're hot. It's in Greensboro. Take your money to Vegas. All right. I mean, that was actually going to be a, a, a fun conference tournament because it's kind of funny when it comes to high major leagues, some of the conference tournaments are better when they're like the league is down as, as a whole. Um, so there's going to be a lot of those ACC teams that are um, fighting for NCAA tournament berths. So um, that'll be a good one for sure. I'm glad you plugged your stuff. Um, and thank you to everyone um, for listening. Let's uh, let's hope we get a few more SEC tournament games to talk about um, before we get on to, you know, postseason or whatever, whatever's next. We're so thankful for everyone uh, listening. We're thank you, thank, thankful for our Patreon supporters. We're thank, thankful for the Gatorverse and uh, go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.